0: So welcome to It's Not All About The Numbers, the leadership podcast that doesn't just focus on the bottom line. Hi, my name is Chris and that is Mike. Hi, everyone. And this week we're doing a special and as you can probably tell from the microphone, we're actually sat in the same room, which is a bit interesting. It's the first time we've done the podcast in the same room. It's very different. It is a bit different, especially with people grinding coffee in the background, but it's all very cool in this co-work space um but if you're liking what we're doing then always remember to subscribe and select those five stars and also let your friends and colleagues know because the audience is slowly growing and we'd love to get more and more input into the podcast so um as i said this is going to be a bit of a special and we're going to go into a few topics um that mike and i want to talk about but first of all as always uh mike how was your week um, it's
1: been a really good week, actually. It's it's half term at the time of recording, so mon- I'm going to focus on the kind of mind mind growing stuff. So Monday, I went to Weymouth, and it was I've listed it out as beach, sunshine, and the first outing of the shorts this year. So that was quite nice. Um, and, and obviously today, Friday, I'm here with you in Southampton. We've been already been walking the dog, and I've got very muddy shoes. So that's kind of like the the mindfulness bit. The work has been, the thing that I can remember from this week is two really long webinars. Um, I think I mentioned last week, I was doing some stuff with uh, the Department for Science, Innovation and Technology. They were kind of like therapy. It was talking about stuff that I've done in the past. Um, So that that was quite interesting. And I forgot to mention last week that we'd had an OpenDEFRA reunion. So that was the people that had worked on the OpenDEFRA project, releasing 8,000 data sets in a year. Probably the best team of people that I've ever worked with uh, as a group. It was just phenomenal. So it was really nice to see a bunch of those uh, online a week or so ago. How
0: long ago did you work with them? Um, so that,
1: that was 2016 to twenty sixteen to 2016 and seventeen. Wow, it's wow. quite a long time ago. Yeah, it was nice. It was a, it was almost like a, a it was a drop in session on Zoom. So it was it, it was really nice to see see a bunch of people I've not seen for a while and just sort of chat about what's going on, old times, how things have changed who's doing well exactly who's dropped off who's retired Uh, well I I think I think by definition if you've dropped off if you've dropped off or you're not doing well you don't dial into those things
0: (laughs) yeah exactly yeah chance to brag and all that (laughs) um good stuff so yeah my week was uh interesting it was half term so it was a bit of work and play uh juggling throughout the week busy one for family because it was uh Pancake Day, uh, big day in the house and, uh, and Valentine's Day as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, lots going on at home. Uh, work-wise, we did um, our, our Lunch and Learn, which we might dig into a little bit later, uh, which is basically a, a get-together of our community to talk about all the great things that they want to talk about. And um, also, our, I probably mentioned in the past that I'm a trustee for the AAT, Um, one of the accounting institutions and they had a career day so I was spreading the wisdom of how to use LinkedIn and how to become a CFO uh, to a load of of budding students and uh, I definitely felt like the old man on the call I have to admit I got the the question so how has everything changed in the last 20 odd years it's like right okay yeah that's that's definitely the guy with the bit of grey in his beard answering that one but fortunately they
1: are only asking 20 years Uh, (laughs) uh, we were we were talking before we started recording and I think it's worth worth just something to scratch up there around experience and and actually because I've done something similar here in Southampton at the university and going to do careers days you really do Realise how much experience you've got in stuff, yeah. um, and you were saying the same. So, yeah. how, how did that manifest in that
0: session? It's. I think it's really interesting. You sort of go in and you, you, you want to um, you know impart a lot of knowledge, and you want to impart like a, you know some some nuggets when it comes to career. But the thing is, there's so much in there, and it definitely the value of what you're saying depends on the career career stage that you're at. And in a way, you know, the the value of what you're saying to students, um, I kind of found it it was almost like the least amount of value I could offer because really at that point in time, you're starting out and you just need to learn a bit of everything. And you need to probably focus on doing your exams with the AAT in this case. And uh, that was... You know, So I was being more of a motivator, I suppose, than a strategist or a tactician. Um, But that was good enough, you know, that they could see me as an ex-member and um, someone who'd been through that route. They could see me being successful, you know, and I was also talking about LinkedIn and how you use LinkedIn and they could see me running a business through LinkedIn as well. So, yeah, slightly different to sitting down with a bunch of CFOs trying to work out, team dynamics and, uh, you know, their, their sort of automation strategies or whatever it may be. For sure. I mean,
1: And that, that resonates really strongly. So when I came back here, I was talking to a bunch of oceanography students at the university. Um, and at the time I was working in, in DEFRA. Um, and actually, most of the conversation post post like the panel session was around what's the civil service like? Is it worth joining? To which the answer was, yes, because then you can try a bit of everything. You can move around a lot and, and try different things. So it wasn't actually about my career path, which I would actually describe as quite random. It was much more about the opportunities given by the organisation I was working for at
0: the time. So, so we, we did say this is going to be a, a bit of a special. So we, we're not going to run through the usual agenda. We'll come back to that next week when we've got our next co-host, Um But I think, you know, you just mentioned the sort of random direction of your career and, you know, we both met and decided to do this podcast. And I think it would be nice just to sort of recap a little bit on on why we're doing the podcast and why we're doing it together. Um, And maybe some of our our motivators, you know, you you just sort of said there you've had quite a random career and now you've landed in this space of you know, consulting and translating and, and converting people from being a, you know, a, t- a technical audience into a sort of non-technical audience to get stuff done. Um, you know, what, what, why are you, why are you doing this podcast at the end of the day? Uh, why are we still doing this podcast? Why are we still, doing, doing, still doing this podcast? Yeah.
1: Um, that's, it's, it's a really interesting one. So there's a, there's a number of reasons, I suppose, I suppose that, First question, well, the first bit of what you just asked is about why is it I do what I do or, or what is it that I do, really? And, and that translator type Yeah, of I was alert. kind of guessing at that, yeah. Yeah, and sitting in that space between like te- different types of experts, so be that legal experts, business experts or technical IT experts and, and sort of sitting in that space in the middle and translating. And the reason I do that is I love listening to people and then interpreting what they're saying in language that I understand and then reinterpreting that to others and sort of sitting in that kind of space of really trying to understand and that really links to the podcast so we've spoken to a bunch of people that either you know or I know or they're from our network that we find really interesting and actually getting under the skin of why they're interesting and translating. For, for me, it's learning. It's all about learning and translating what they're saying into language and things that I understand. I find brilliant. And it's my, it's my way of learning. Um, if you give me a, a management manual to read then I might get two or three pages in and get bored and go and read a Jack Reacher novel. (laughs) Um, So, so actually talking to people for me is that, is that way of learning. And and that's why I'm loving what we're doing with the podcast
0: because the people we're having on are are fascinating. Do you think that's going to become sort of more and more commonplace as people, you know, in the, uh, I was talking to a bunch of students this week and you know, the, the, the way that they learn and the resources they have and the, the mixed media that they have to learn nowadays, you know, seems to be just completely different to how I used to learn, which is very much paper-based, no conversation, no community. You know, can you see that, it's definitely the norm in um, professional training, but can you see that becoming more of a norm in business, generally, in right. community becoming more important? So, so I, th- I think the short answer is
1: definitely, the, the longer answer sort of harks back to something we spoke about a couple of weeks ago with Becky and, and, and approaches, right, and how people um, do different things. So we talked with Becky around my aversion to networking. Yeah. And one of the ways that, that manifested when I was at university was I hated to go to the library. So actually, I really like my, when I did my first degree back here in Southampton 30 years ago, I really struggled because there weren't the other ways of learning. Yeah. There was only go to the library, get a book out, and if the book's out, you have to go on a list and wait for it. I I found that incredibly hard um, as just as a, as a thing. Whereas now, I reckon it, when I did my, my master's degree, my IP law degree, it was all on the internet. So I didn't have that barrier to entry. So I, I think it, sort of tangenting off what you said slightly, but I think what the mixed media and the, diff- the internet and the different approaches to learning now gives people is if you're not suited to one style there are other styles you can
0: engage with whereas back 30 odd years ago you had to do it a particular way. Yeah and I'm hoping that the podcast becomes part of people's sort of informal you know non-CPD learning right because we, we are aiming to you know, bring lots of different opinions and within each episode, we're certainly covering an awful lot of topics. You know, even last week, you know, we covered everything from sort of open data and toilet data all the way through to sort of change management and, you know, working together under difficult circumstances. There was a bit in there about um, working in business versus working in in public sector. You know, there's a there's a lot in everything that we do. One of the things that was quite interesting, though, from our Lunch and Learn this week, which is, like I said, it was when we get everybody together and we ask people to, to send in questions and then we vote on the questions. And um, one of the questions was actually around topics we should be discussing. And it went on to, to podcasts and, and themes like that. But there were a lot of people who, who don't listen to podcasts and it almost seemed like you needed to be doing something else to listen to a podcast so you know am I doing the washing up or the dog walk then I can find time for podcasts because it's seen as sort of informal um, and not a guaranteed learning um whereas you know if you're going to sit down to study something in terms of CPD or a structured training course then you might you know do it uh, do it at lunchtime or, or carve out half an hour um but I was just surprised that that you know, I feel like the world's gone mad with podcasts that that um, some people still do not listen to uh, podcasts. But then again, you know, not everyone's on YouTube or or X, right? So, so there's something in there about asynchronous activity.
1: And I think we're moving from uh, uh, things are, we, you know, we turn on the radio and listen to whatever's on to a much more selective approach to what you listen to. So... I definitely listen to podcasts when I would have in the past listened to the radio and listened to like Radio 5 or something like that. There's a place for both. And I think it's almost like podcasts are designed to be listened to while you're doing something else in, in, in my mind. I think I think that that's almost the purpose. I, I struggle a little bit with a podcast being like CPD because I think it is optional. You know, it's very much... So it's almost like self-development i am hoping people listening to us ramble because they like listening to us <laughs> ramble rather yeah, than it's, leg- it's the coffee break at the training exactly. course not the training course yeah exactly right so do you ask me the question about why are we do- doing the doing the podcast or why are we still doing the podcast or what why are you why are you still keen
0: why are you still here i'm, I'm really enjoying it i'm enjoying talking to lots of different people and i think one of the the, the one of the surprising things actually from The start where i thought this would go and where we are actually is that i've really enjoyed listening to people outside of my profession because it's sort of broadening my understanding of how other professions work and how other organizations work you know i've never worked in government i've never worked in public sector we have all of the same kind of technical management leadership problems um but they're all offering different perspectives. And th- I think it's, you know, there's this nice sort of reassurance and solidarity in that, but there's also real nuggets of learning. Um, and I, I think I've really enjoyed the sort of diverse, uh, diversity of the speakers. But why, why am I still doing it? I think, um, you know, my personal motivation with this has always been, I think we all... Need to get closer to change and transformation, and um, use of data and technology, and that's where we definitely clicked in terms of you know you and I sort of having these these sort of transformation conversations, and then there was a a lot in common when you know we started to dig into it, Um, and I feel that you know I by having these conversations. You know, we may be early adopters, we may be ahead of the curve, um, time will tell. But I genuinely think that if people can get these new skills, these future skills, as people talk about them, right, then we have better futures. We have a better job. Um, we have you know, better careers and we have new careers and we're part of the change rather than resisting the change. Um, and I think there's still a very long way to go, which is why, you know, this is not going to sort of end anytime soon, as far as I'm concerned.
1: I'm, I'm a little bit worried in what you've said, purely and simply because um, part of my shtick, I think, is very much that, that the, the silos that we operate in are all experiencing the same problems. And, and actually, um, if you get if you start getting it, then I, I'm going to get less opportunity to talk to people, right? Because, <laughs> yeah, but, but I definitely, yeah. so I so I 100% agree. One of the things that um, I, people people say is that we need to break down silos between teams, uh, um, and we need to break down silos between different expert groups. Um, and I feel quite strongly, and I may have said this before, but I feel quite strongly that um, silos are the ways humans operate. So we break the world up into expert function, expert bits, so be it the environment, be it accountancy, be it HR, whatever it is. And actually, it's about those silos talking to each other in a really effective way. And just learning that we're experiencing common problems starts to break down, or not break down the barriers, but sort of make those conversations happen. You can start to have those conversations in
0: a non-kind of siloed way. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point when we talk about silos, because I think I think part of the change is that a lot of the um, the benefits that we're looking at when it comes to transformation, they're actually end-to-end, they're the whole company. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest changes, that the silos get it, but also the overall benefit isn't siloed anymore. You know, the whole digital transformation kind of agenda is about whole business change business model change and I think it's you know people have been ready in their silos to act but now actually they do want to come together to make change but the other motivator for me doing this is that you know as as great as that conversation is there's still a shed load of failure and confusion you know even when it comes to terminology let alone actually process and implementation Um, so yeah, I, I think you know there's there's so much to do on this, and we've only we've only really just started. And you know, I I was one of the you know earlier early adopters in terms of my world. You know, the accounting and finance space. Um, I saw the use of technology being integrated into what we do um, at some point within my career, and I started to chase that. And I've you know it's started to bear fruit now. You can see. In fact, I shared something yesterday, which I thought was a real kind of realisation almost of a lot of the conversations that I've had over the last 15, 20 years. You know, OpenAI are recruiting for a strategic finance data scientist. It's like, what the hell? <laughs> like, that, You know, that that is the job that I was talking about, you know, 10 years ago, when I was trying to say to you know the accounting and finance world, we've got a digital world coming, we've got a business world coming, and they're all going to collide into one place. And when I look at OpenAI's job description, it's basically defining what we call the digital finance function, um, and it's not just a technical role; it's a non-technical role. So I'm super excited because not only you know is this just a bit of theory between you know Chris and Mike on a Friday but it's actually manifesting itself um, in, in the market. Um, but I wish that there were more people doing it and we weren't talking about silos. I don't, so that, that's really cool. And I like that. And it, link, it, links, it
1: kind of links all the way back round to the people that we're getting on. They're really interesting people. They've got a story in this kind of transformation space from lots of different
0: angles. And actually bringing that all together is the change. I really like that bringing bringing people together. I think is the real crux. I think you've always sort of, you know, when we first met, we we had a great conversation about you know being sort of transformative, and and we both sort of talked about this this term pre consulting came up. It was it was like, do you know who inside the business can be the advisor before you get the expensive consultants in? Who can be the entrepreneur? um and you talked about it as pre-consulting and and you know I was like yes absolutely we need to sort of nail that and that's starting to happen um but I feel that you know this this change has only just started and there's so many ways that you know this can go but we need to get people together to form a consensus as to how it should go and and you've always sort of said to me that Getting people together has been one of, you know, our community skills. And, you know, I mentioned the lunch and learn. That's another great example where we're sitting people down and we're talking about what they want to talk about. Um, And I learned something yesterday, and I'm all over this subject. Um, You know, the top question that we voted on was, you know, how are we developing our people? But what was actually underneath that question was, You know, I'm as a as a leader, I now have double the number of direct reports that I had or was expected to have 10 years ago. I have less time to develop these people. I have less time to, you know, bring them on a journey. And by the end of that conversation, it had actually morphed into the changing workplace because of the impact of, you know, everything that's happening from economy to digital We're creating almost two classes of worker where you have experienced managers and leaders who will just continue up, you know, the rich, if you like, rich in experience. And then you have team members who aren't going to be invested in as much, who are almost like the poor in experience. So fascinating conversation that would have never have happened without people coming together to have those conversations. Uh I think that's really I mean, re- really interesting. And uh, So I, on the first bit,
1: absolutely agree that bringing people together and people being able to share allows you to have those conversations. And the specifics of that one, I think it's really interesting in terms of the two classes of, of people, potential two classes of people, because actually it links back to our first conversation or the first bit of this conversation around different learning styles and different approaches. So if you're a manager right now, the chances are you, you you're slightly older you've been through, you went through university or your postgrad or your education at a particular point. And actually, what newbies into the field now are going to experience, is going to be totally different. Yeah. Their ways of learning and actually getting experience and upskilling is going to be totally different. But, you, know, you don't sit in one company and, and do that kind of stuff now. And I think part of it is actually what are our expectations of ourselves as managers and leaders, really? There's it, it a little bit there. How much do we empower people to go and find out some of this stuff for themselves? I, I don't know. It's, but
0: there was there was an I'm, interesting... I'm, I'm, I'm really good. I couldn't make the call now. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Um, but, it, yeah, it's, that, it was exactly that point where good leaders were saying, I want to invest time in the team, but because of the change in expectation around having flatter hierarchies, and more direct reports, because, you know, that's seen as sort of a progressive way to go, then they had less time to invest in people. But also the sort of the, um, you know, the future of work, uh, remote working, flexible working impact on this was that they felt that they didn't even see people enough Mm. to, to, even if the opportunity was there, it's going to be online, which yeah. is totally different to meeting in the workplace. And I think when the, the um, pandemic came around, you know, there was a lot of sort of throwaway lines around, oh, I'm missing the water cooler and I'm missing my coffee breaks and all sort of stuff. But it's really manifesting itself now as, well, the learning opportunities aren't there, you know, or I'm not being seen in the office to build those relationships for a promotion or, you know, to get that, that management support. Um, and it, this isn't around mental health because I think that's you know, further down that, that road where people are struggling. This is just doing a good job mm-hmm. you know, in the first place. that, that, makes, that makes sense. It, 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 it comes back
1: to it it's just different now. We need to adapt to this the different scenario that we find ourselves in with remote working. I mean um, I really love it that you've picked up and run with the lean coffee. Mm. idea that, that I, I i came across through um the one team gov stuff that i was doing in government which was i basically how do you get the people across government that are working in a particular field to come together and support each other was the the premise behind that yeah and through that i got into things like unconferences and the, the lean coffee which effectively both of those are how do you create an environment a structured environment to allow water cooler conversations to happen that's what exactly what they are, um, yeah. and I think that I I would advocate more and more of that is what's probably needed. How do you create open space events, which is what they're called, yeah, to allow people to have those kind of ad hoc contacts
0: with their bosses, with their colleagues that they don't get if they're just remote working. I I see the value, and I and I thank you for introducing me to Lean Coffee, and I think um, there's also you know people people don't trust it but, you know it's like oh if we get everybody in a room and there's no agenda there's structure but there's no agenda then you know not Amity. How, how, do Amity. We, how do we guarantee that this is worthwhile you know what, what's hr gonna say what about the cost you know blah blah, blah. It, but the thing is you trust in the process you trust in the methods they've been tried and tested as long as you have a strong facilitator as as you are and I know my my subject, so that helps when I'm doing my lean coffee work, um, then I think it would be fine. And, you know, this stuff is, is all about getting conversation going. And people, I think, are desperate to talk. You know, one of the actions that we had from the session yesterday was as leaders, we need to create an environment for learning, for exploring um, skills attitudes behaviors like new skills attitudes and behaviors so it's creating a learning environment in this new world that we're in absolutely and and and, and so I feel like
1: I'm going to get on a hobby horse about open space now a little bit but then sort of linking back but linking back to to where we started off here about a leader with many more direct reports who probably feels like they need to spend more time you know time the same sorry the same amount of time with everybody, so therefore they've got double the amount of time they need to spend in order to lead. Actually, some of the open space technologies, technologies, yeah, yeah. types of approach can actually um, provide that space, that that learning environment space. Quite often, I think, when we talk about learning, people think courses, structured events. Oh, somebody's going to give me a PowerPoint presentation and I get some CPT, CPD for it. Yeah. yeah, of course, that's one way of doing it. But actually... What you've described as the problem is peer learning, learning from your colleagues. Ask, being able to ask questions in a way where that you get an answer rather than fobbed off. Part of the problem with like Zoom type of meetings for me is they're so transactional. Yeah. You have a meeting in the diary. The meeting is to discuss this. You log on at your set time or twenty minutes late. Um, you do the meeting,
0: <laughs> and then you finish and you go and you don't have any chat. Yeah if you didn't notice the 20 minute late dig was at me there because I'm notoriously late, but only because I'm busy. Uh, yeah, I, I think that this, this is super valuable. Um, and I would recommend anybody who's, you know, in a leadership or a management position to to check out, you know, that, that approach. And I think the, you know, the people who are involved, they're so engaged and they benefit from it so much um, in fact, you know, there's almost like, a, you know, we're fans of this approach and, you know, I didn't realize we we're going to talk about it so much. But I actually realized that yesterday there was uh, there were a couple of people on the call basically saying this is such a good way of doing things. Why don't we have more people doing it, Chris? And, you know, Gen CFO is a peer to peer community. It's only just really getting going. So I do hope in six months' time, in 12 months' time, you know, there are hundreds, even thousands of people getting involved in this because that type of learning, that type of um, sort of peer support will lead to change. I, I, you know, that, that's the whole goal here, right? Um, and going back a step to personal motivations for sort of doing the podcast, I, I really have been on quite a journey um career-wise and I've seen the value of some of these these conversations I've seen the value of transformation and um I want to keep doing the podcast and I want to keep doing Gen CFO because I think it's it's sort of in me now um, almost as a sort of personal passion to try and make change and this all started from a fraud story a very long time ago Um, and, you know, identifying fraud and dealing with fraud is is a use case for a lot of the, the, the digital transformation work. Um, but it's not just about that. It's about really improving our jobs and improving our careers and, you know, setting up the, the teams of the future, um, which I call digital finance function, but it could be, you know, digital any function, really. Uh, I really like
1: that. Uh, I I love that passion. And I think that I just wanted to link it back to a story that we used. So we developed some training a year or so ago now, probably a foot longer. And we used the Kodak story as part of that training. Mm. Um, And one of the things that if you look at the Kodak story from being the the biggest um, camera film manufacturer in the world to bankruptcy in about 10 years, if you look at the story, they had the answer within their organisation. It was there. They had. They invented the digital camera. They invented the sensor that pretty much every smartphone has got a, a version of within it. Like in the seventies,
0: yeah.
1: what they didn't do is they didn't look within and think broader than what they were currently doing. And I think that that's what you're describing in some respects. Is how do we? harness the peer the peers that we have to make that change and identify what the change is that's needed so yeah i really like that
0: i i I sometimes refer to it as sort of collective intelligence right and i I use this analogy sometimes when i'm trying to describe gen cfo to to people who haven't been before and i talk about it as you know who wants to be a millionaire show for your career (laughs) And you get to that point where you don't have the answer and you've got a few options. You can phone a friend, right? You can ask for a couple of the answers to be taken away or you can ask the audience. Well, that collective intelligence that helps contestants in those shows are exactly the same as what you can do in your professional career. And as well as that, you know because it's not just about answers it's about support and, and shared ideas and and you know, even motivation right because do you do you talk like this with friends and family and the wife because you know no uh, you know no no one's interested right I, i'm sitting here shaking
1: my head so so, so <laughs> n- n-
0: not exactly
1: no 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 i think i think i think no and i uh, you need to have that quite like common ground to talk about in terms of I'm experiencing this in a particular activity. I got one, I I think we're going to move on a little bit. looks like we're going to move on, but I've got one final quick question on this, which is who wants to be a millionaire? Do you see yourself as Tarrant or Clarkson?
0: Uh, neither. 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 Okay. Well, being called Christopher, I was called Chrissy Wissy a bit when I was younger. I remember that. Driven me mad. <laughs> it's driven me mad. <laughs> well, he was, you know, he was one of the main DJs when I was growing up, not Chris Tarrant. Um, but I'm 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 neither, okay. uh for sure. I uh, yeah, I can't see myself in that role. Um, even though I would love to go on it one day, um, but who knows? So Every podcast, um, we are always looking for questions. And um, if you want to send in your questions to us, then you can send it to podcast at generationcfo.com or you can reach out to uh, Mike and myself via LinkedIn. That's probably one of the the best ways to go about it. And I I did want to just pull up a question from... Uh, yesterday's lunch and learn. Now I, I touched on, you know, how do we develop our people? That was quite a, a serious uh, subject. But actually, the second subject was, you know, what topics should we be talking about on the podcast? And you know, we we obviously just just shared a lot of our thoughts around the podcast. But Mike, you know, what sort of things would you want people say by the end of the year to to know a bit more about being part of the podcast? that's a it's a really difficult question to answer in like a, a straight way because the straight
1: way of answering it would be like a list so yeah. starting with intellectual property rights and open data and data Mike licensing how you, and, can,
0: how you can you can engage my exa- yeah exactly <laughs>
1: yeah and here, here's here's my cv yeah um but all of those things that are on my cv and on your cv are effectively our experiences What what I hope people will get out of the podcast over the years, and and in particular from the guests that we have and the conversations that we have, are that the problems that we're all facing are common. There are different ways of tackling the same thing, and they're all okay. Well, well, depends on what they are. Fraud, not so much. But, you know, in general, approaching a problem in different different ways is all okay. And actually sharing what you're trying to tackle with people means that you might get feedback that you never expected that actually helps you solve a problem. So I realise that that's like not specifically answering the question around what topics, because I think actually the interesting stuff that comes out of this podcast and the conversations we've had so far is in part the topics. And Giuseppe last week talking about open data around toilets was fascinating, yeah. but actually it was it was the the conversation around the. That there is no one solution so open data as an approach is not the only solution to the problem of extracting value from collective information
0: so yeah it, I, and, and I wouldn't you know like I'm glad you didn't go into a list of things because that would have been quite well a, I, I quite gave you a bit of a well. <laughs> but yeah it's a bit no I'm with you though I think you know if I think of I say topics, but, but maybe it's just, um, you know, why you would listen week after week after week rather than topics itself is that, you know, one, the two of us are very passionate about, you know, making change, helping leaders make change, and we're going to try and bring really interesting speakers to you. And, and I think, sorry, just to interrupt there, but I th- and I think
1: the important bit that we both share is that we think that the change starts with the people.
0: Yes. And the people are the key bit in that. Yes. Yes. And to grab that back off you, that we believe it needs to start with the people. And a lot of our conversations are around how we start well. Yes. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people get that wrong. Um, and I'm a firm believer that if, if these conversations can help people understand how you know to go about their planning how to create a more compelling vision you know how to to start well on the people's side then the rest will follow because going back to a conversation around you know pre-consulting and that internal advisor we want you to start strong so you don't piss money up the wall <laughs> to quote alan sugar um you know, on a project, or engaging consultants, or, or whatever it is, you know. So develop that inner transformer, so that you can go on that journey rather than thinking, "Ah, oh, I just need to go and buy an app for that." That's, that's, I just hundred
1: percent agree with that. If there was a thousand percent and it existed, then that. And <laughs> um, I, I just I I've written down as you were as you were starting that pre-consultancy because I wanted to come back to that as well because I completely agree what pre-consultancy is to me is that little bit of investment that you have to have to have to understand the problem that you're trying to fix and the outcome that you want before you engage your big supplier or your big project I don't think that that's new there was something a while back called the intelligent client so as outsourcing started what was really important was you, you were the intelligent client, so even if you're outsourcing your software development, you knew what it was that you were trying to create, and you made sure it was created. I don't think that ever landed brilliantly. It was just an yeah. outsource. What pre-consultancy is, and in the way that I think about it, is just an iteration of intelligent client. It is how do we help the people make sure that when they're spending money and not doing that at the wall with it, yeah. they do you know they they're doing it effectively, and it is. It almost is stop, think, ask, ask around,
0: ask internally, ask the people, find out. So there you go. If you if you continue listening to the podcast, then by the end of the year, you're going to have this crack. It's a free course on how to be an entrepreneur, how to commission better, how to not waste money on consultants. It's all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That and and
1: definitely <laughs> it's de- definitely that and definitely that you, you know the, you you can probably tell by the way that I'm reacting to the, the question it it's something I feel really passionately about is that so much time and money is wasted because people leap to solutioning yeah. and actually just a little bit of time and effort spent working out much more clearly what the problem is that you're trying to tackle back to Kodak you know yeah. Kodak got that wrong they didn't actually tackle. The problem that they were facing, which was that the film industry for, for cameras was dying. Yeah. They didn't tackle that. They didn't even look at that. What they, what they tried to do was shore that up by
0: investing. That's what we're trying to avoid. And you know, this sounds like a really nice place to actually wrap things up, but I do actually want to dig just one thing in one step into the people side. What is it about that getting the people bit right going being people first what is it that we're actually talking about there you know we it's almost like we've we in the past we've covered like mindset and, and language and culture you know change management all these things um, but we're not talking specifically about those things so for you what is it on the sort of people-centered approach that is most important so, so I think it's again thanks for the easy question (laughs) Um, (laughs) sorry no but but
1: i think it comes back it comes back to all of that all of what you've just listed and more so quite often when we talk about change and transformation the thing that we're trying to change is a culture or a behavior or a way of doing things and culture and behavior and ways of doing things all come from the people yeah. Yeah. You know, the processes are designed by people. The algorithms are coded by people. Culture change is the culture of the people. I think one of the things that really struck struck me as as in a, in the language is when you talk to people. I think about culture change, and you know, you'll speak to a lead, a senior leader in org. Oh, yes, we need to really change the culture. When they say that, they mean everyone else. Yeah. And I, I think if we can just flip, to use a, a, a <laughs> word that we use regularly, if, yeah. if we can just flip that in, into behavior change. And behavior change means everyone. Everybody has to change if we're trying to transform. Yeah, And it's not just the technology that we use. Because if you implement new technology, then the behaviors to use that technology have to change.
0: Yeah.
1: Blah, 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 blah. So you, you
0: just can't land it without getting the people on board. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's... It, you know it's almost the wrong word right when we talk about um you know making change or transformation or or culture you know it, it doesn't include the word people you know if you just put people people change people transformation you know people culture because culture to me is a, is about our sort of our common ways of working in our common behavior whether it's you know going to a concert and how we act in a nightclub or whether it's how we act and work in the office, but we've all kind of agreed to this. And I think they're the nuggets that hopefully we can pull out for people um, and and get a slightly different view on what those ways of working are or how people should be responding. One thing I would say, though, I've got a pet hate about people using um, the change curve as a demonstration of how change happens because it really, really, really doesn't happen that way. You know, change isn't a nice linear kind of approach um, where you know, people are first sort of shocked and reluctant and then they go on this journey. Change is messy and you've got to go into it um, thinking that there's quite a lot to manage. Um, and how that tends to manifest itself is, you know, you need to put a lot of effort into that start
1: <laughs> so so this this might be the first disagreement on the podcast because I actually quite like the change curve but I don't fit, I don't I agree that it's not change is not a linear process and it is messy.
0: Why do you like it?
1: Because I think that there are definite stages about humans consider and and adapt to change and you can look at changes and the first change is pretty much usually, usually denial and anger okay uh, because and, and the example that i throw at <laughs> you is 20 miles an hour in wales right so the change the change to 20 miles an hour in wales if you looked at the press around that change of the speed limit uh, in in ur- mainly in urban areas but i think across the whole country the, the the first reaction was well this is outrageous this is ridiculous this change is gonna you know it's gonna cause complete carnage and that's a useful stage for you to consider when you're trying to implement any changes that, that some people will be your pathfinders and will go with it, but quite a lot will be in that resist, resistance kind of thing. In that example, if you look at the logic, why are you doing it? Well, actually, by, by making this change, we'll make the roads safer for children, we'll reduce the amount of emissions and help with climate change, da, 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 da. the logic is all there. But you still get the reaction. So I'm not saying the change curve is perfect, but having this understanding that quite often people go through a negative reaction to change before they get to the positive reaction to change is, I find, quite helpful. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I can see Chris getting well, yeah, riled yeah, up here. Yeah, He's written
0: for a, a vein in my head popping out. I wish uh, we weren't in the same room. <laughs> I think that's going to be the next special, you know, because I, I I I get where you're coming from, but there's so much to it. Um I, I think I think the, the, my final point on it and just just is
1: I don't think there's any perfect model for anything. No. So Quite often, um, so one of the things that I've been working on over the last sort of five years is applying what's known as the fair data principles in different contexts. So that's data should be findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. So, uh, and, and just to use that as, uh, to explain what I'm talking about, at a really top level, I don't think anybody can argue with that. If you've got data within an organization, that data should be findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable within your organization to some extent. Yeah. However, the model, that model has got loads of detail underneath it, which doesn't apply to many, many organisations and many, many people. And it's actually very complicated. Yeah. So I really like the four letters and the words. I absolutely hate the rest of the model. And I think the same is true with the change yeah. curve. I like the broad structure, but it doesn't <laughs> apply, like, verbatim to everybody.
0: You know, I'm keeping my powder dry on this one because, you-, you know, you are... You're protesting too much now. Uh, um, but if you I'm know, just, I'm just, just trying to see how to, far I can push you, just to come back. So, if you went back to Wales now and you asked those people who were against it, Are you in support of it? What would be the answer? Well, I, I am, I guess, I would imagine that gradually the, the
1: negativity would change. Not everybody would end up being supportive but more people will be supportive because they see the benefits. I'm not getting to places <coughs> slower than I thought I
0: would. Mm. There's less kids dying, yeah. you know. I, I, so over time, yeah. people will transition. Yeah. Now, I, 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 you know, I, yeah, I disagree. But, I, but let's come back to that in a special, because I actually like the idea of us having a bit of a battle on that one. Um, because, you know, my, my take would be, they have uh, it's forced change. They don't actually support it. They've accepted it reluctantly, Agreed. right? That is how failure happens within business transformation. Agreed. Yeah. So I think that's that's my issue with it, and having a good conversation about that might might definitely be a good one. But anyway, look, let's wrap this up. Um, that's a real that's a real teaser, isn't it? Yeah, right? yeah, the uh-huh. yeah. Then, and we just said so that you know we we are going to do. Um, not every month, but every sort of, you know, four to six episodes, we're going to do a special um, just to dig into probably the the previous four to six weeks of episodes and bring out a few of these hot topics. And maybe the next one will be about the uh, change curve and the history of it and how rubbish it is um, or how good it is, who knows. Um, but thank you again for listening. Um, I really appreciate you being part of our, our mini silent revolution that's happening through your podcast channel. Um, I really, you know, I think it's been a fantastic journey for us. I know that the speakers who come on are shouting about their involvement and what we're doing. And uh, we've only just begun. I think that's that's the big message. And see it as part of your, you know, your learning or your collective intelligence or your dog walk or your washing up, whatever it might be. And uh, we will see you next time. So anyway, thank you from me. And thank you, Mike. Thanks very much, everyone. And remember, it's not all about the numbers.